Welcome back to See It and Feel It with Dr. Brett. In other words, our immunity is affected by mm -hmm. our level of happiness and our level of well-being. There's been, you know, decades and decades of research on that. So, you know, so again, for me personally, you know, I've thrived because I've helped a lot of people yeah. and I've been in a, you know, a more balanced environment. You know, there's a lot of, I've walked the dogs on the beach, you know, basically six days a week, you know, since this thing began, other than the March and April shutdowns of beaches where, again, there was no evidence of outside transmission, but mm -hmm. they were worried about, you know, like contagion and so on. Yeah. So. For the most part, you know, um, you know, but but it's still a challenge because we can all feel the the restriction thing, right? You can still feel it. It's still not Extreme. the same, right? right? And that feeling is just it is a little bit depressing, as you know. And I feel like there there were people that either um, reinforced, you know, the, their old habits, you know, stayed mm -hmm. home and, and didn't make any improvements. There are people like you, you know, that were resilient to it because they've been living a, a similar type lifestyle that's flexible. Um, and I think there are people that, a small percentage of people that were able to make changes, that mm -hmm. were, that were more productive from home, you know, working yeah. out from home, building better connections with, with their family. You know, yeah. so, I agree with, I agree with you, but my, my intuitive guess is, and I don't have the stats on this yet, but is that for some people, it actually enhanced their relationships, you know, but for a lot of people put a lot more stress on them. They're not used to spending so much time together, couples and, sure. you know what I mean, and so on. And Overall, so I think for a lot of people, it's caused yeah. a lot of like tension, right? Mm -hmm. And separation, right? My wife and I have gotten closer, but we were living and traveling together for two years prior. So mm -hmm. we kind of had like a huge bond to start with. And then, you know, we've spent so much time together prior to COVID that there was almost no adjustment again in COVID we were set up for it. But again, my concern isn't someone like me that is yeah. hyper flexible and adaptive. It's the people that aren't as flexible and adaptive. And then what the does the pressure of these restrictions and everything then sort of, or economic pressure, especially right. among the lower socioeconomic class, that pressure gets overwhelming. And then you have things like mm. domestic violence and suicide and yeah. opiate abuse and, you know, drug abuse and alcohol abuse and so on, right? And porn and whatever other addictions sure. are sort of rampant. And yeah. I think we're going to see, you know, in a year or two that that will definitely be the case, that there'll I've be heard, so much more of that. I've heard from some um, economists that uh, this type, this this pandemic is going to take potentially a decade to, to rebuild. I mean, in terms of our, you know, economy, some people have said it's been shorter, but I think what this has taught us and everything I've researched is that um, our country was very, was very, uh, very fragile, you know, in terms of um, majority of high percentage of families living paycheck to paycheck, having very small savings, um, you know, obesity, think, don't forget yeah. things like health and obesity, challenge, right? Challenge our health as well. I think if we were a healthier society and culture, I think coronavirus would have been less, would have had less of an impact. You uh, know? Tremendously. You know? you know, one of my guests um, months ago um, was, just, he's a, he's a life coach and a business coach in New York city. And what his take was that, you know, it sort of exposed the underlying, you know, cracks in the system and, in, you know, and, and in people's, you know, you know, people's vulnerability. What it's really done is exposed, uncovered a lot of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And I agree. And, you know, and obviously, you know, again, we know that the elderly and immune compromised have to be especially careful, but the rest of us have to build our immunity, right? 
Right. And there are a lot of th- a lot of these restrictions actually, you know, decrease that ability. So again, as a psychologist, that's one of my biggest concerns. I've been saying this literally since March. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, you know, and it hasn't changed so much as now I'm even more concerned because I'm just seeing more of the mental and emotional hurdles that people are going through. And, um, you know, literally a friend called me up from college, you know, I haven't talked to, you know, in a little while I stay in touch with him or whatever. And he wanted to know whether they should, his family should fly down to Florida or not. Right. And they're super fear based around the virus and everything. And I said to him that it seems like, you know, that there's very little evidence of people getting the virus on an airplane. So it seems that the air travel is actually very safe. Otherwise, we would hear about it nonstop, right? It would be something so prevalent, right? If you, God forbid, you got a few cases on airplanes. So that piece is pretty safe. And then, you know, if you look at the virology of this thing, right, it seems that, you know, most people are getting this virus indoors, poor ventilation, 24 to 48 hours before someone's symptomatic. And so, Right. Because once they're symptomatic, we're all staying, you know, no, literally nobody's hanging out with somebody who's coughing or symptomatic. Right. We're just not doing that. So you really the time when people are most susceptible is that period of time when the when you're shedding the virus 24 to 48 hours before you're symptomatic. That being the case, that's highly unlikely that you're running by some stranger on a beach or on a path. The likelihood of getting it under those circumstances has got to be close to zero, right? It's like if you have any kind of decent immune system, really it's taking exposure because the the, the CDC came out a few weeks ago and said that, you know, 85% of people that have gotten coronavirus swear they're wearing their masks all the time. 85%. So what is that telling you, right? Is they're spending time inside getting exposed, right? They're wearing the mask all the time when they go out and about. So, and they get coronavirus, where are they getting it? In poor ventilation, inside, or their immunity is weak, or both, right? And so what we really need to do is build our mental, emotional, and physical health, right? That's the real focus, I'm hoping I this, believe. And I'm hoping this is a time that we can all, you know, think back on previous years and, and change habits, get healthier. You know, for a lot of us that aren't working, working at the same level, I'm not going to say we should be saving more, but to be... To understand, you know, to appreciate everything we have, to not maybe get that six dollar Starbucks, you know, four times a week. You know? <laughs> maybe three times because we want to support sure. the economy too. So sure. that's the tricky sure. part. Because in the beginning of COVID in March and April, when everybody was scared, I would take the dog like three times a week to um, uh, one of the restaurants locally on the island we live in, um, you know, and, and we would do takeout, right? And as a way of supporting the local business. Now you got Dr. Fauci talking about that in like, you know, November, right? Where, where, was, where was he in October? You know, where was he in, in March, April, May, June, right? When, mm-hmm. you know, these restaurants are all going belly up. No. So, you know, look, again, the, the, the big concern is that, like, people that have been, you know, vulnerable, right, and that are now going to have to deal with the consequences of not just the illness itself, but the shutdowns and the economic cost and then the cost to their well-being what mm-hmm. i've seen which i think you're aware of as well is that a big percent you know some percentage 20 30 percent whatever it is of people that go belly up financially you know they lose their business they never recover they're the walking dead they're zombies and almost no one is talking about that but mm-hmm. i've seen that in decades of working with people some people as you know never recover 
They wind up in drug and alcohol abuse or whatever, and they never build it back. And no one, there's almost no champion for them. Nobody's really talking about the people that aren't going to recover if you shut down an economy. They're never recovering. They're going belly up. And that's ultimately what I've learned. I mean, I'm a young man. I'm 30 now, but I've been following politics, you know, the past decade. So I still have a lot to learn. But, but I see it coming down to the fundamental belief of, of one side um, um, leaning more towards a capitalist, you know, um, background and one more towards a socialist. And it's not to say that, you know, left and right both lean 100% that way. But from what I've learned and researched, you know, and especially um, business and economic field is that, um, you know, majority of Republicans and, and capitalists say, you know, with this economy, a business owner who lost their business, it's the American dream. They can start over again. They have the incentive to, 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 to build the business back up, you know, and to where, you know, some of my friends on, on the left and we're liberal will say it's, it's the country's um, priority to take care of their citizens and, and to help, help that business rebuild. You know what I mean? So, and I would say if you talk to people, it's somewhere in the middle, somewhere in the center that they believe there should be some government influence. There should be some state level um, aid to help these businesses rebuild, but, but also how much is enough and do we have enough to help everyone? And you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's super tricky. And again, I'm more like you. I'm like a dead moderate. I'm so in the middle. I can see both sides. You know, I actually had somebody put, reach out to me the other day, a potential new client, and he was fishing for my like political sort of, you know, viewpoints. Like, you know what I mean? Like, in order for me to help his son. And I literally said to him, look, I'm a dead moderate. I can see issues on very, I'm troubled by, you know, the extremes of both ends or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, we need to find the right balance and that's always tricky. And that's why having a healthy two-party system, you know, potentially could be amazing. As you know, the biggest problem is the divide, the inability to listen and understand other, you yeah. know, because, you know, we talk a lot about things like bang up communication skills. The ability to listen to someone else's perspective is so important. You don't have to agree with it just because you listen and validate it, right? And as a financial planner, that's something you're probably doing a lot of. You're listening well before you get to, and hey, have you thought about this? Or can we look at this another way here? Mm -hmm. You're validating someone's fears or concerns first, not agreeing with them. You're just letting them know that you listen, that you're listening and that you care. And that's sort of what is missing in this political divisiveness and, you know, and so on. There's not a lot of like I'm listening sure. and trying to understand the other point of view, because I have friends on the conservative side, for instance, Ryan, that they're not one drop racist. But I've got people on the left that often say that anybody that voted for Trump is an automatic racist. And that's just not honest or not real or not true. It's just simply not. They're not listening to the fact that some people are simply conservative. And vice versa, there are conservatives that don't listen either. And that's the biggest, you know, problem concern that I have with, you know, the political agendas, so to speak. I think one thing we have to work on is empathy. Yes. Understand. Really well said. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, empathy. What else before we wrap up? We're just going to do a quick little podcast here. It's always a pleasure having you. No, I haven't seen you in a while here. Any other while. thoughts before we wrap up, Ryan? Um. I would say about, um, you know, following back up to what we were saying about facing rejection, you know, whether that's a job interview, a date, um, client meeting, patient meeting, whatever it is, um, I would say always come prepared, you know, whether that's a client brief, whether that's 
um, whatever preparation it takes for that meeting, rehearsing a script, and um, and going in with intention. You know, I love it. When I go in with a meeting, when I go into a meeting with an intention to close, that's how the meeting ends. Or if I go to connect with the client and, and get to understand the situation, or go on a date and have a great time, or have a Zoom with you and you know have an awesome thirty minutes together. So you know you got to put the intention out there in the world, and that's how I feel is always a great way to start. I love it. So I have a similar perspective in terms of, you know, the intention to be present is primary, right? To stay in the moment. And then you have secondary and, th and tertiary intentions. But knowing what your intentions are, knowing who you are and what you're about and why you're doing something is invaluable. And that's really well said, Ryan. So again, well, Ryan Davey, um, former tennis coach, right? Like um, a little bit of a life coach, definitely a therapist and now a financial planner. An absolute pleasure. I'm Dr. Thanks for watching See It and Feel It with me, Dr. Brett. If you enjoyed this video, remember to like, subscribe, or share it with a friend.